0: Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes by just using the promo code CEU when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on supporting the person without enabling. I am your host, Dr. Donnelly Snyder. Today we're going to explore how a person becomes an enabler, define enabling, and examine the consequences of it. We'll learn about the connection between enabling and codependency, Obviously, there's a connection, but you don't have to necessarily Um, be codependent to be an enabler. We'll define characteristics of codependency and how they may develop from being in an enabling relationship and examine practical strategies to provide support and encouragement to the loved one without enabling. And I do want you to sort of focus even from the beginning on the fact that enabling isn't just necessarily um, an addiction-related concept. We have a lot of youth now who are going through this failure to launch sort of um, scenario if you will and as parents we can um, enable them to choose to not launch you know we want to make sure that What we're doing, are we enabling them to engage in behaviors that may not be helpful towards their development or helpful towards other things? Ultimately, it's their choice, but we do want to make sure that people are experiencing the consequences of their own action. Another example I see of this, and it just drives me crazy, is when students go in and they haven't studied for a test or they haven't done their homework, and instead of experiencing consequences the teacher just says no big deal turn it in tomorrow or turn it in next week my daughter's experiencing that now in her uh in the college classes she's taking interestingly enough and uh, it just frustrates her because she's one of those people that gets stuff done two or three days ahead of time and literally half of her class is showing up and they haven't even tried to do the homework that's enabling on the part of the professor, for example. And we're going to talk about some of those things as we go through. What makes an enabler? If a person that you love or are interacting with is in trouble or experiencing pain, you can become an enabler. And this is more what we're going to talk about today as opposed to professors, but somebody that you're interacting with is experiencing pain. It can be someone with an addiction, someone with a mental health issue, someone with chronic pain, or even a child. You have a sense of responsibility for the problem. If I would have been more aware of what was going on in this person in this person's life if i had done this differently if i hadn't chosen to do this then maybe the person wouldn't be experiencing distress or challenges or wouldn't be acting this way so maybe it's my fault there can be denial that there's a problem requiring professional help enabling has a gamut obviously doing um, homework is not something that's going to require professional help. But when students are enabled in high school and college and they don't, they're not held accountable, then when they get into the workforce and they're not willing to be accountable, then they may have difficulty holding a job. So we do want to look at what are the consequences of enabling. There's also the issue that once you've helped, it's hard to stop. Once you've given in, if you have a child who is truant and gets suspended and you go in and you talk to the principal and you're like, well, you know, he's going through some stuff and you get him out of it and there's no consequences for his or her behavior, then the next time that child is going to expect the same behavior. If you are in a relationship with someone who is maybe a problem gambler and you know they get in and they're... $2000 in the hole and they need help getting out cuz they they don't have $2000 to pay for it and you help them one time you lend them the money then the next time they get into trouble they may come to you and with their hand out going i, I got into trouble again and i need you to bail me out enablers are people who and, and we're i'm going to say this over and over again consistently I- intervene in order to prevent the person who is engaging in unhelpful behaviors from experiencing the natural consequences. They're not going to learn. They're not going to experience discomfort from their unhelpful behaviors. And there can be emotional manipulation on the part of the person uh, to maintain the behavior. The child who gets arrested for drunk driving and being drinking under the age, may blame mom or dad or whomever at first and then when it happens again they may say well you got me out the first time and blame the parent or the caregiver for what's going on to manipulate that person to rescue them again enabling protects the person from the natural consequences of his or her behavior enablers keep secrets about the person's behavior from others in order to keep the peace If you have, and you see this sometimes in, in families where you have a child who is using drugs and one parent is trying to take care of it and keep secrets so the other parent doesn't find out about it. Or you may see it in families where one parent has some sort of problem going on and the other parent tries to hide it and cover it up in order to keep the peace and keep this facade of everything's good. Enablers make excuses for the person's behavior with teachers, friends, legal authorities, employers, and other family members. They bail the person out of trouble. And this can be bail out of jail or bail out of debt, fix tickets, hire lawyers, provide jobs, do things in order to help the person out ostensibly. The challenge is finding that boundary between helping a person who is trying to move forward and recover, if you will, versus the, the same behavior for a person who's not trying to recover. Providing a job. When people go through treatment or when they go through detox and they decide they're going to stop using, um, they often are unemployed. Not always. There's a lot of people who are functional addicts and alcoholics, but they may need a job. And if you are trying to assist them in their recovery process, you may give them a job if you have one available, obviously. However, at what point is that enabling? And the challenge comes in that particular situation. If the person is going to meetings, what are the Criteria you place on being able to maintain this job. If they're going to meetings, if they are staying clean, if they are doing these things, then they can maintain this job. If they relapse, making sure not to hold that job for them and let them experience the natural consequences. Enablers may blame others for the person's behavior. Somebody who's in a relationship with uh, a person who is, I'm just going to use somebody who's addicted because that's the easiest example, um, may blame the that person's boss or that person's parents or that person's whatever for that person's behavior instead of making the person with the addiction take responsibility for their own choices and behaviors. The person who's the, the enabler as well as the person who is experiencing the problem, may see the the problem as the result of something else. Shyness, adolescence, loneliness, a broken home, ADHD, another illness. You know, the reason you're doing this, it's not your fault. It's because of, you know, and, you know, it's because it's cloudy outside today. It's because it's a full moon. It's because whatever. There's always an excuse. And those excuses keep the person who is struggling Keep the identified patient, we'll just call them that from now on, keep the identified patient from taking responsibility and starting to make changes. Enabling people, avoid the person in order to keep the peace, out of sight, out of mind. If you're working with a couple and one partner is engaging in excessive pornography use and it's causing problems in the relationship, one of the ways of enabling that behavior is to just avoid that person. So maybe, you know, they just avoid being at the the dinner table together or whatever. And enablers tend to give help that's undeserved, unearned, and unappreciated. People who are enablers attempt to control the other person, the identified patient, by planning activities, choosing friends, and getting them jobs, doctor's appointments, whatever they need. An enabler is one who will take care almost helicopter parenting, if you will, somewhat, um, what's the word, enmeshed in their relationship with the identified patient because they want to make sure if I control everything about this person's life, then they will do what I want them to do. And it's, that's not the way it is. The person's going to do whatever they want to do regardless of what the enabler is doing. People who are enablers tend to make threats that have no follow through or consistency. They may say, the next time you get arrested, or the next time you lose a job because you don't go, or the next time you fail a class in school, I'm not going to pay for you to take it again. There may be these threats that the next time you do this, I'm not going to bail you out. But when it comes down to crunch time, the enabler is always there. The enabler caretakes the person by doing what he or she is expected to do for themselves. When we're talking about, for example, failure to launch, instead of forcing children, young adults, to start taking responsibility, start doing their own laundry, start cooking their own meals, start, you know, make, make them responsible for selecting their own classes in school, or whatever they need to do to be responsible, independent adults. The enabler may be doing that. The enabler may be showing up at college orientation with their freshmen and figuring out exactly what needs to happen and walking the, the young adult to their different classes to make sure that they know where they are, just like they did when, when the identified patient was in kindergarten. We don't want that. We want to encourage people to take responsibility. And a little side note from that, just sort of a funny story, if you will. Uh, when my son was little, he's my first child, and he was... Um, 18, 20 months old, you know, he was old enough, but he wasn't speaking. He would still speak occasionally. He, he was good at signing, but wasn't speaking in sentences. And the book said he should be starting to form short sentences by now. And I took him to the pediatrician and I was kind of freaking out. Thank, thankfully, we had a great pediatrician and he had eight kids of his own. And he just looked at me, didn't bat an eye. And he said, is he getting his needs met? I was aghast. I was like, of course he's getting all his needs met. And Dr. Wyatt kind of shrugged his shoulders. He goes, well, when he's not, he'll tell you. He'll start talking when he needs to. And I remember that to this very day because it's so true with my son. When if he doesn't have to do something, He's probably not going to do it. It's important for him to experience natural consequences and for me not to do things for him that he can because ultimately when it comes down to crunch time, he is able to pull it out and do those sort of things. Enablers will ignore the identified patient's negative or potentially dangerous behavior. Enablers have difficulty expressing emotions, especially if there are negative repercussions for doing so. If they're in a situation where the identified patient makes them so angry, but they're afraid that if they vent their anger or express their anger, that the identified patient will abandon them then they probably won't. They probably will hold on to it. If they're afraid that if they express their frustration or their anger that the identified patient is going to turn it back on them and make them feel like the bad guy, then they're probably not going to do it. In these relationships, there is so much manipulation going on that the enabler typically stuffs all of his or her emotions. The enabler will prioritize the need of the identified patient before their own. They will figure out, okay, this person needs this and I'm going to make sure it happens because I want to make sure they're headed in the right direction. I am basically living their life for them. It's important, especially with young adults and adults. With young children, it's a whole different ballgame. But enabling is really when we're talking about adults and, and older adolescents to empower them to do what they are able to do to encourage them, to support them. You know, some of these things are really scary. However, it's important for them to start doing them and take that step on their own. Enablers may act out of fear. Since addiction or any of these other behaviors can cause frightening events, the enabler will do whatever it takes to avoid such situations. Frightening is really determined by the enabler. You know, what is terrifying to them for one person, if their significant other is watching a lot of pornography, they may be afraid of abandonment. It, for another person, if their significant other is using drugs. Um, for another person, if their significant other is um, you know, not going to work and losing jobs or something, that might be a source of fear. Anything that disrupts their life, especially if it triggers prior issues, can be... Fe- triggering or fearful for the enabler. And the person who's the enabler often resents the identified patient, often resents the person whom they're having to caretake and they're choosing to caretake because they feel like, well, you should be able to do this on your own. However, you're not doing it. Therefore, I must do it. Instead of thinking you should be able to do this on your own, you're not doing it. Let me let you experience the natural consequences, so then maybe you'll be motivated. What does enabling look like? The person may say, he is so irresponsible with money, he he could never make it on his own. If I kicked him out, he would be homeless, so what can I do? Or every time I've tried to talk to her about her addiction, she's gone on an even worse binge, and I'm afraid if I... Bring it up again, she's gonna overdose. I know I shouldn't have paid for his lawyer after the third DUI, but if he went to jail, he would lose his job and we rely on his income. Every time she and her boyfriend fight, she crashes here. I let her because I know he can be violent and I don't want her to get hurt. So see this, we're talking about domestic violence, not addiction. If I don't get the emails, he will miss them and lose his scholarship. It's my fault she is in pain, so I must do whatever she wants. If I can't change what he did, at least I can limit the damage. Maybe if I just keep doing this, one of these days, he's going to wake up and come to his senses. Or maybe I just need to find the right treatment for him. Well, again, we want to put the onus, the responsibility back on the person, which, you know, just kind of a diversion from our uh, PowerPoint at this point, the frames, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Approach provide feedback objective feedback to the person about what you see what what the experiences are what you believe their capabilities are you know maybe they need a little encouragement that's okay provide objective feedback about what's going on place the responsibility squarely on their shoulders i can help you i can help you find options i can help you problem solve but ultimately it's up to you to make the decision a in frames stands for advice give you know It doesn't hurt to give the person advice about, you know, if it were me, this might be what I would do. However, you know, they're going to have to decide what they're, what they want out of life and what they're willing to risk. M stands for menu of options. We don't want to tell somebody here is your one and only option. You know, here it is. You need to go do it for a lot of reasons. You know, we don't do that in counseling. We don't want to do that. And we don't want to encourage people to do that with one another. We want to help people encourage each other to look at what are your options e stands for encouragement you know standing there and going all right you know you've got all these options in front of you you've figured out you know where you want to go you say you want to be clean you say you want to pay off your debts you say you want to graduate from college whatever you say you want to do great now let's figure out what you need to do to get there that's the menu of options and i am here to encourage you as you go through this, because it can be scary and it can be frustrating and arduous at times, and encourage people using that frames method, if you will, to start taking responsibility for themselves. Enablers detest the behaviors of the identified patient, but fear the consequences of those behaviors even more. If I don't help my son, Enroll in classes and get his assignments in on time and do all these things, then he won't graduate. If he doesn't graduate, then he won't get a good job. If he won't get a good job, he's gonna live in my basement the rest of his life. We could believe that. When we're talking about addiction, if the person that I love continues to use, then they may overdose and I don't want them to die. When we're talking about domestic violence, I don't like the fact that this person keeps going back to a violent relationship. However, if I don't step in, if I don't give them a place to stay, if I don't intervene, if I don't do all this stuff, then the identified patient is going to go back to that violent relationship and could get killed. That is the enabler taking responsibility and preventing the other person from learning how to make adult choices. Enablers are locked into a lose-lose position in the family or in the relationship, Setting boundaries feels like a punishment or abandonment of the person that they care about. Setting boundaries, going, okay, you can't stay here anymore. You need to figure out, you know, I'll help you find domestic violence shelters. I will help you do these things, but you can't stay here anymore. Or for the child, setting that boundary and saying, okay, you are an adult. You need to be the one responsible for Doing, making sure you're doing what you need to do to keep your scholarship and get enrolled and you know, pass your classes. I will be here to answer questions if you get stuck along the way, but you need to start doing it. Enablers may struggle with guilt. They would feel if the person they, they're enabling were hurt by the real consequences of their actions. If I set a boundary, and if this person goes back to this violent relationship and does get hurt, I may feel a little guilty, but that's on me the enabler that's on me to deal with my own guilt and understand perspectives about the fact that i can't change other people i cannot alter that if i you know if we're talking from a parent's perspective if my child fails uh, fails a class and loses his scholarship would i feel a little bit guilty that that happened possibly however you know knowing that along the way all the resources were there it's important to again remember that that person ostensibly is a responsible adult or young adult who can make choices for themselves enablers are also protecting themselves and or children from those consequences i don't want to feel guilty so it's hard for me to set boundaries because i know it's going to be a fight i know it's going to be emotionally draining. I know there's a pot- potential that I could experience guilt. I know there's a potential that bad things could happen. So I may not want to you know, be facing that. I may not want to deal with that. And that is a choice. However, if I want to change that enabling behavior, then I need to look at it. If children are involved, the, per- the person who's enabling may be trying to shield the family or the children, from the actions of the identified patient. I get it. You know, I I can see from that person's perspective how that would be, in some ways, a logical choice. Enabling means that someone else will always fix, solve, or make the consequences go away. That's a full-time job when you're working with somebody or living with somebody who is refusing to take responsibility for their own behaviors enabled persons will come to expect that their behaviors have no consequences or negative outcomes well because they don't there's always somebody there cleaning up their messes really important that people experience these consequences preferably the sooner the better you know we don't want to shield people youth when they are small from challenges from hurdles from you know Potentially getting hurt emotionally or physically. You know, sometimes you're going to fall down and skin your knee. It's going to happen. Learning how to deal with it is part of that growing up process and realizing that you are strong enough to come through it. Enablers may become emotional hostages as the identified patient learns to manipulate them in order to ensure that the help and support keep coming. If you wouldn't have done this, if, you know, whatever. There are also cases. in which the identified patient may we will say misremember i'm i don't want to believe that's just me not wanting to believe that they will maliciously make things up but they may create memories or misremember things from the past and use that to guilt the caregiver. The enabler is desperate to prevent one enormous crisis but winds up experiencing a constant state of stress. You're constantly going around, just kind of like a, a, a dam that's getting ready to burst, and you, you put your finger in one crack and then you put your finger in another crack. Then you got to put your toe in another crack. And it's exhausting trying to keep that dam from breaking. The enabled person and the enabler become stuck in a role in which they feel incompetent, incapable, disempowered, and ineffectual. They may gradually accept a self-concept that includes these negative traits, destroying self-esteem and leading to codependency. And these things, as, as Matt points out, are not all that uncommon to see in Counselors and therapists, especially uh, new, newer counselors and therapists who want to help. You know, obviously, we're not going out and bailing people out. However, sometimes people keep making the same choice and coming to the same conclusion. Imagine how that happens. And maybe we don't want to point it out because we're afraid that they are going to get angry at us. Or you know, maybe we want to encourage them. When I was working in, uh, co-occurring disorders, when I was working in community mental health, I would regularly get subpoenaed to go testify in court. And sometimes, you know, what I had to say was great and supportive of the client. Other times, not so much. And I could have cherry-picked what I chose to share with the court, or I could be real. And, or sometimes people would come up with a dirty urine screen And, you know, I could make excuses and yada, 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 or I could be real and go, well, you know, mass spec says you're dirty. You know, let's talk about that. It's important for us to remember that people are coming to us for help. And one of the most, in my opinion, pathological dynamics to get into is when the client comes in and says, okay, it's your responsibility to fix me. And. For the cl- clinician to own that and say, it's my responsibility to fix you. It's not. It's my responsibility to help you figure out how to fix yourself. It's not my responsibility to fix you because only you can fix you. And I go over that with my supervisees a lot. It is really challenging. And and you're right, um, Roxanne and Matt both, that some of these clients, especially ones that you have strong counter-transference reactions with, um, can can tug on those heartstrings, and I've had clients before, you know, go figure, after 20 years, I've encountered clients that, you know, they hit a soft spot for some reason, and they really bring out that enabler in me, and I have to keep that in check, and, you know, it was always sort of interesting to see which clients would do that push those buttons for which clinicians that were working on my unit. But it, that was almost always a topic at our weekly clinical supervision meeting. And, you know, so be aware it's not uncommon. It's just one of those things we need to be aware of and keep in check. Characteristics of the codependent person. Remember, you can enable without being codependent, but you can, you know, go the rest of the mile and become codependent. The codependent person had someone they loved and failed to fix them, or the loved one chose another behavior over the relationship, which impacted their self-esteem, self-efficacy, and abandonment anxiety. A lot of times we'll see this in a person who grows up in a family where one of their caregivers is addicted to something. The person who's codependent often believes it's his or her responsibility to caretake For other people to make sure that nothing bad happens well if that's how it was in their family of origin if they were the ones that were always trying to pick up the pieces maybe they were the oldest child and you know caregiver was an alcoholic would pass out every night so it was their responsibility to make sure that the younger siblings had dinner took their baths got their homework done well they're learning to enable they're enabling that adult and yes you can that, per- that child doesn't have a lot of choices at that point. But these behaviors are carried on. And when they're adults and when they're interacting with other adults that can make choices, they're still repeating these same problematic patterns. Codependent people have an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. I can make you stop. I can make you Go to recovery. I can, no, I can't make you. They have an exaggerated sense of responsibility that they can change or somehow they uh, motivate a person to do things that are bad or good. You know, it's my fault you went out and got snot face drunk. No, you know, maybe we had an argument, but it was that person's choice to go out and get snot face drunk. People who are codependent tend to confuse love and pity with the tendency to love people they can pity and rescue. They want to caretake. They tend to surround themselves with, uh, sometimes we call them lost puppies. They surround themselves with people who need to be or want to be rescued. And, And that's a better word for it. They want to be rescued. A lot of times the people don't need to be because they are capable of doing it on their own but they want somebody to do it for them. They have a willingness to do anything to hold on to a relationship to avoid the feeling of abandonment, which goes back to that initial abandonment wound where in that uh, critical relationship where somebody chose their addiction or their unhelpful behaviors over the enabler, now You know, that person is afraid every relationship they get into that they're not going to be good enough and that their partner is going to choose something or someone over them. There's an extreme need for approval and recognition and a sense of guilt when asserting themselves or setting boundaries. I really, I I really can't let you stay here tonight. I'm so sorry. You know, I feel guilty that I can't be there to prevent you from experiencing your, the consequences of your actions. I encourage people who are enablers to add that phrase to the end of most of their sentences in order to help them see exactly what they're doing. I'm sorry I can't protect you from the consequences of your actions. You can stay here tonight to protect you from the consequences of your actions. And they can start seeing how what they're doing is potentially keeping the other person stuck and sick. a tendency to do more than their share and become hurt when people don't recognize their efforts well they're going around they're they're trying to do everything they're plugging all those holes they want a little gratitude here because it's exhausting however the person the identified patient most certainly is not overly grateful because they blame the enabler and they blame everybody else on what's going on so the identified patient has a sense of entitlement often Um, and a lot of other people are probably looking in going they're, they're not seeing everything that happening behind the scenes because that's the whole point the whole point is to make it look like the dam is still intact so they're looking in going looks like any other day the codependent person needs has a compelling need to control others and a lack of trust in themselves and or others there's, there's a lot of anxiety a, a very uh, limited ego strength these people. They define themselves by their relationship. I am so-and-so's partner. I am so-and-so's mother. I am so-and-so's whatever, instead of I am. They have difficulty identifying their feelings and may be rigid and have difficulty adjusting to change. They're trying to control everything in their world and keep it all together and keep it from falling apart. So, you know, they have difficulty. They're angry and scared and happy and, and all these other things. All their feelings are mushed in you know think about a closet that you have all your christmas decorations and everything else in and you can barely get the door shut you know you mush them all together when you shut that door and the person who's codependent typically mushes all their feelings together they're just keeping them all down because i don't have time to pay attention to them right now and i need to control everything and everyone to make sure that this the identified patient makes the right choice They often have problems with intimacy and boundaries. As we said earlier, they're afraid often to share how they feel for fear of the repercussions. Well, if you're afraid to be real, to be authentic, then you're going to have difficulty with intimacy. And we already talked about difficulty maintaining boundaries because of a sense of guilt or obligation. All of this can lead to chronic anger. Anger is fight or flee. You know, the person's HPA axis is activated. They're in a constant state of threat. And they go back and forth between being afraid that the identified patient is going to experience problems and being angry that the identified patient is not doing what they're, quote, supposed to do. They may lie or be dishonest. They often have poor communications and difficulty making decisions. In addicted families, one of the main characteristics is don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. We don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about this elephant in the room, whatever the problem is. And we try not to feel because ain't nobody got time for that right now. We're just in the place in in addicted families of putting on this perfect facade and saying, it's all good. You know, there's nothing wrong here. Keep, Keep on moving. So what do we do? Well, help the person who is the enabler learn about the addiction or co occurring issues that the person may have so they can start understanding the behavior. We also want the person, the enabler, to start learning about behavior modification, basically. Help them see that, you know, unless the person, unless the identified patient has a motivation to do the next right thing, to do the hard work, they're not going to do it. You know, if. You're sitting around and somebody is making you your meals every single day and bringing you breakfast, lunch, and dinner in bed. How motivated are you to get up and make your own meals? Not very motivated, probably, unless they're a terrible cook, but I digress. If somebody is doing something for you, very rarely are people going to say, you know what? I can do that for myself. You know, I I got all this. Don't worry about it. Thanks, but no thanks. A lot of times people are going to take advantage of the support. However, when that support's withdrawn, it's amazing the resources and the strengths and the, you know, whatever that you start seeing. The enabler needs to get help and support from others to help them learn how to set boundaries, get support for their feelings of guilt and their anxiety about, well, if I don't fix it, then, then the person's going to make the wrong choice. Okay, well, they might. When they make the wrong choice, the, the enabler may need support and that's okay. It's important for them to also get support from others in, in their own recovery. Encur- others will encourage them to focus on themselves, to remember that you can't change this person. You can't change the identified patient. All you can do is be there when they're ready to change themselves. Enablers can calmly let their loved one know that they're aware of the problem, that they won't tolerate the continued behavior, and that they're willing and able to support them on the road to full recovery like i said earlier this can kind of get hazy you know if you're providing somebody a safe place to live when is that enabling and when is that supporting of recovery and there has to be some clear boundaries and rules about what's acceptable and what's not when you're having this discussion it should include explaining that you'll be, be withdrawing financial and other support should they choose to refuse your help which means you will not enable them but only support them on the path to recovery When working with families or couples who are engaged in codependent or enabling relationships, I really encourage them. And it seems to work out best when we write down sort of a preliminary contract that identifies, okay, this is not all inclusive, but these are some of the behaviors I will not tolerate anymore. And this is what I need to see in order to continue to provide you support in your recovery. Healthy help involves providing information, encouragement, and coaching to the identified patient. So give the person contact information for doctors, counselors, lawyers, rehabilitation programs with, without feeling the need to force the person to accept this help. And that is so hard and that is hard for us as clinicians and that's hard for people who are enablers when we give them information and you know, we can see that the solution is just right there within their grasp. But we can't make them do it we have to empower them maybe encourage them but we can't force them to accept this help we can you know as they say lead a horse to water but we can't force it to drink we want to discuss with the person what possible consequences of the actions or inactions might be without feeling as if we must make sure they make the choice you want them to make and helping people all people but people who are enablers understand that inaction is a valid choice. Action is a valid choice. Choosing a different action is also a valid choice. And that person has the ability to make choices. And, you know, based on their choices, you, you the enabler, will have to tailor your response. If they don't choose the behavior that you want, you know, maybe they don't choose to go to treatment. Okay. Well, then that means that you may have to follow through on your threat or promise, whatever you want to call it, to withdraw financial support. We want to help enablers foster hope for themselves and the person. Foster hope for the person that, you know, you can do this. Look at how awesome life can be once you're in recovery. If the person's had periods of recovery before, look how awesome life was when you weren't doing this. And we may see enabling even in people who have, for example, clinical depression. They may get used to people feeling sorry for them or caretaking them and not expecting them to try to take care of themselves. We want to help them see, you know, when you weren't depressed, when you were you know, doing your treatment plan or taking your medication or whatever it is, look how much better you enjoyed life. Sometimes people refuse to get help only to turn around and ask for help a short time later. It may not make any sense, but especially when you're dealing with people With addictions, control is a huge issue. So don't tell me what to do. I don't need you to tell me what to do. And then as soon as you back off and go, okay, fine, then they may say, you know what? I think maybe I need to go to residential treatment. Hallelujah. Um, And as clinicians, when we're doing assessments and making treatment recommendations, one of the things that we can do is present that menu of options and help the person see the benefits and drawbacks to each so they can make an educated decision. Put the control, the responsibility in their court. By refusing to tolerate or enable the unhelpful behaviors, uh, but being willing to fully support their recovery, you can foster hope that can grow and catch on. For someone with clinical depression, one of the things that they may do is stay in bed all day long, and we know that that's going to mess up their circadian rhythms, and it's going to mess up their sleep, and it's going to contribute to maintaining their depression and their fatigue and their lethargy to a certain extent. We don't want to enable that by saying, "All right, you know, I will bring you food, so you don't have to go to the store. I will call in sick to your to your boss, so you don't have to leave the house and you can you don't have to go to work." We want to refuse to tolerate that behavior that we see as harmful to the person and then they can choose you know if if they don't want to get out you know they can choose to call somebody else to bring them food if they want to but at least the enabler is no longer encouraging unhealthy or unhelpful behaviors practical strategies for the enabler sleep get good quality sleep it's easier to deal with life on life's terms and identified patients on identified patients' terms when you are well-rested. Get good nutrition. The body needs the building blocks to help you have the neurotransmitters to fight the good fight. And good nutrition will also help you have the energy to deal with life. Exercise increases serotonin levels, increases endorphins, and helps people, you know, kind of get some of their stress out. Take care of your emotions. Do things that make you happy and address guilt, grief, and all those other issues in support groups or counseling or whatever. Engage in social relationships and activities with people other than the identified patient. I mean, you can engage in those activities with the identified patient as well, but expanding that social network so the identified patient is not the center of your world. And having an awareness of what is truly important to you really sitting down and going okay what things are important in my life what's going well what do i need to work on focusing on me and you know maybe how does the identified patient fit into this but figuring out what's important to you when you're together with the person with the identified patient remember not to helicopter if they're eating too much if they are getting ready to drink if they're spending too long in the bathroom and you think they might might be shooting up don't helicopter don't be banging on the door after three and a half minutes going, you okay in there? Make sure to allow them to be the responsible adult that they are. Don't obsess or worry about the identified patient. And this one is so hard. It's important for enablers when they start to obsess or worry about that person to turn that attention back to themselves. Because... Again, we're talking about theoretically adults here. We're not talking about young children that, you know, you're going to worry if they're out riding their bikes. But we do need to have the confidence and faith in that person to try to do the next right thing. Don't judge them. It is what it is, and judging just sucks your energy dry. If you are judging their behaviors, you know, that was the wrong thing to do. Why did you do it? Blah, blah, Well, they did it because it was the most rewarding option they could think of at the time. When we look at behaviors in terms of a coping strategy, we can maybe see how it might have been perceived as beneficial, but that's a lot of mental gymnastics. Accept the person at face value. It is what it is. They are who they are. Don't have expectations of others. Instead, meet expectations of yourself. And you can have clients write down a list of expectations for me, for what I do during the, during the week, for how I interact with this person, whatever their expectations are. And this is real helpful if you want to use the acceptance and commitment therapy um, rubric, if you will to help them look at, you know, it is what it is, and then what behaviors, thoughts, and feelings are going to move them toward their goals and have them evaluate what they do on a daily basis against the things that they've identified as behaviors, thoughts, and feelings that will move them toward their goals. Remember, you didn't cause someone else's behavior and you're only responsible for your own. That needs to be a mantra. I didn't make you do this. I am only responsible for my own behavior. You can't change or fix somebody else. Before engaging in enabling behaviors, weigh your options for short and long-term pain. And this is something that sometimes gives people a little bit of perspective because they say, you know, if I do this, I I just can't do this. Well, you can. It may hurt like hell initially, but short-term pain, pulling off that band-aid, setting that boundary, saying, this is not going to work anymore. Long-term pain is continuing to watch this person stay stuck in a self-defeating set of behaviors and continuing to feel exhausted and drained and angry and whatever, you know, indefinite. So do you want to do the short-term, you know, pain or do you want to drag it out? Write about your feelings in a journal. Pursue your own interests and have fun. Set boundaries. And this starts by getting very clear about your boundaries, your physical boundaries, your emotional boundaries, your financial boundaries. What am I willing to do? What is, you know, where, where do I end and where do you begin? What do you expect from the identified patient? Get real clear about your expectations. This has to happen. I need you to do this. What behaviors are acceptable and what will you no longer tolerate? And what will happen if there's a relapse? Not everybody gets it on the first try. So if the person relapses, what are the consequences? And how do we get back to a recovery state? What do you, the enabler, need to feel safe and secure? What do you need to feel like things are moving in this recovery direction? Encourage people to enablers to learn how to say no and to mean it to set those boundaries and they're not wishy washy boundaries it's not like on bugs bunny where there was a line in the sand and then another line in the sand and then another line in the sand no it's one line and it don't move so learn how to say no and mean it and be okay with it you may not love it but learn how to be okay with it and learn how to ask for help and get it and if you go into dialectical behavior therapy, Linehan has an entire chapter on saying no and asking for help. Take time out when you get emotional and practice distress tolerance to help you get in your wise mind. When you get frustrated, when you get anxious about what the person is doing, when you get angry and, because you feel like you're having to do everything, you know, practice distress tolerance, you know, let those emotions bleed off, and then you can use your logical mind to figure out what parts of that are true and what parts you have the ability to affect. Each day, identify three things you did well or like about yourself and write them in your awesomeness journal or whatever you want to call it. Take the labels off. Good, bad, ugly, should. When it comes to expectations, assumptions, and excuses, ask yourself how you would treat the other person if they were not your loved one, were not a significant person in your life. If it was just Jim Bob down the street and they did this, how would you react if it was your coworker what would you do and that takes a lot of the emotional sting out of it when you're tempted to think or worry about the identified patient turn your attention back to you and that's so important to remember okay i can worry about this person and i can't change that or i can focus on me and figure out what i can change so i can be happy cuz ultimately I can only make myself happy and I can't force anybody else to do anything. Pay attention to how you talk to yourself and treat yourself. Silence the inner critic and be compassionate. A lot of those lessons learned from prior situations where the person felt abandoned may creep back in and they may hear those tapes or hear those explanations that their younger mind came up with. It's important to address that inner critic. Encourage enablers to have fun, pursue hobbies and interests. It's okay. They don't have to feel guilty about having fun, even if their loved one is in jail, even if their loved one is, you know, unfortunately, MIA. Spend time alone with yourself. This is hard for a lot of people who are enablers because they have such strong attachment disruption issues that being alone feels terrifying. This may be one they work into later. Start looking for the positive in your life and add to your gratitude list each day. Stand up for yourself if someone criticizes, undermines, or tries to control you. Practice mindfulness and radical acceptance to deal with worry. Let go of control and the need to manage other people. And just remember the mantra, live and let live, or it's all good. Remind people, enablers, to accept themselves and the fact that they don't have to be perfect. Because ain't nobody perfect. Encourage them to get in touch with their feelings without judging them. You know, that mindfulness. Recognizing that feelings are what they are. They're just feelings and they're not right or wrong. If I'm angry, okay, I'm angry. Now, what can I do to improve the next moment? Just acknowledge your feelings. Express yourself honestly with everyone. Say what you think and what you feel and ask for what you need. And reach out for help when you feel bad. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you should be able to manage alone. That's a symptom of codependency too. Codependents often feel like they're the only ones that can handle stuff. So they should be able to be the strongest and, you know, unbreakable. Encourage and support recovery activities in the identified patient. You don't want them to just kind of be going through the motions. You want them to actually be recovering. You can't be that person's only support. They need support from others. You can encourage and support by helping to arrange time in the family schedule and budget and providing emotional support, transportation, you know, practical support as needed. Encouraging doesn't mean forcing, manipulating, making ultimatums, or nagging. Encouraging means being a cheerleader. And remind the enabler. To engage in their own recovery activities enablers also need to restore balance and they can do this by stopping making excuses minimizing or avoiding problems and simply doing things that he or she can do for themselves do for yourself what you can do and you know let other people do for themselves what they can do it's not your responsibility to do everything for another grown person leave the person the identified patient to clean up their messes they make while engaging in destructive behaviors that means losing their job or going to jail or being broke it is what it is don't allow the person to put you in situations which may endanger yourself or others and follow through with plans even if the person refuses to participate maybe You're working with somebody who's clinically depressed or you're in a relationship with somebody who's clinically depressed and you had decided that you guys were going to go out and go on a walk uh, after dinner. And the person just after dinner is like, no, I ain't going to do it. Okay. The enabler doesn't have to get mad about it. They don't have to, you know, turn it into a big thing. They can let the identified patient go back to bed if that's what they choose to do and The enabler can go on the walk themselves. Enabling behaviors can occur with anyone, not just people who are addicted. Most of the time, people do not start out enabling. They often feel responsible in some way and are trying to make things better. Supporting without enabling means getting clear about your wants and needs, setting boundaries, learning to say no, and being willing to encourage and support healthy behaviors. Okay, I've seen a few things over here in the chat room. Um, Yes, you can have... um, and different permutations of enabling. You can have adult children that are very um, enabling to their parents, and that can mean, you know, they get married, and their spouse ends up, you know, kind of being the third wheel, if you will. Intrafamiliar, intrafamilial abuse is another area where enabling happens. You know, we don't, we don't want to admit it happened. We want to make excuses for why the person did it. And, you know, there's a lot of hiding and secrecy and all that kind of stuff, trying to keep the family together, but it often results in the offender continuing to, to offend, which can get really tricky. Are there any questions? If you think about it, um, you know, over the day, Think about the different ways where you potentially have been in enabling relationships, or if things had gone a little bit differently, you could have easily been in an enabling relationship. And how many different ways that happens? Again, it's not just with addiction. It could be with your with your kids, with your parents, even with the neighbor down the street. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at com slash